good, all that is sacred, and in the warm and loving energy of this community, Spiritual Life Center. If you're joining us for the first time, we especially want to welcome you because we know that you are not here by accident. You're here by divine appointment. Thank you for joining us on your unique path today, and we hope you enjoy this special message from this past Sunday's service. You know, it was an early Thursday evening, and I was hanging around with some friends and classmates, and we were at our high school, and we were doing something very, very important. We were leaning against the wall, (laughs) and I was a sophomore at the time, and uh, I was waiting for a ride to take me somewhere after finishing up some activities after school. And then suddenly, out of the blue, a classmate came seemingly out of nowhere. And he friendly ran up and said, they killed him. And I wonder, who is they talking about? One of our other classmates? No, he said, somebody killed Martin Luther King. Of course, at that time, I didn't fully grasp what that meant. But I realized that for many of us during that time, our sense of innocence, our sense of hope, sense of faith took a a blow. Even though I had little appreciation of the power of his philosophy of of nonviolence or the spiritual perspective until I began to study closely more so after his death. It's interesting, I I realized that uh, I guess I've been around for a little while now because I was speaking to a one of our youths earlier after the service. Some of you all remember that, you know, my cousin cousin Vinny, youths. (laughs) Some of you are not moviegoers like me, but that's okay. He said, what was it like back then? I just realized that a lot of people were not around during that era. A lot was going on. And I realized, like, like myself and a number of my young and impatient friends and classmates thought that King's philosophy was impractical. It was foolish. Until I found his roots were in the work of Mahatma Gandhi and the philosophy of David Thoreau. And over the course of his life, several gifts were given to us by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Here is a man, I think, early in his life knew his mission. You know, he was only 26 years old when he was selected to lead the Montgomery bus boycott to to challenge the the segregated bus system at that time. And it kind of reminded me of a quote that says, it's never too late to be what you might have been, and it's never too young to meet your mission. Now, the first part of the quote is from George Eliot. The second part of the quote is from me. But I think going together, they sound pretty good. (laughs) But King was awake to his purpose at a young age, and today we might say he was woke. 
Now, in recent times, you know, the word has been co-opted by people. Co-opted by people who seek to disparage the term as something negative rather than a word that seeks to bring forth a better society, a better world. I always wonder why, you know, we need to have a little bit more history. And, I, and you, know, just, you know, I don't get disturbed a lot, but I was disturbing about how they're trying to remove more and more books from schools rather than bring more and more. Nobody ever got hurt from reading but a little history, of course, is in order. Some people may think that this word was recently invented. But the term woke was first showed up in the lyrics in 1938 in a song by the blues singer Lead Belly. And it was a song about the Scottsboro Boys and nine African-American teenagers convicted of a crime they did not commit. And they were sentenced to death. And the song warned of the pitfalls of the justice system, or at that time, what he called the injustice system, included with the words, best stay woke, meaning be aware, be awake, be vigilant of what's happening around you and in the world. You know, when the people observed the Buddha and they saw there was something different about him, that he kind of stood out from the rest of the crowd, they asked him, well, what, what are you, a man? He said, no. So what are you? They were perplexed about how he showed up in the world, and the Buddha simply replied, I am awake. And Jesus in Mark 13, chapter 37, verse says, to have said, stay awake. So King was awake from this awakened consciousness, this so-called woke consciousness. He merged a number of gifts that we can apply in our own life and in our world today. So I want to share like five of those gifts. You know, he had a whole lot more, but we only have so much time. You know, he did a lot in his lifetime. As I think about it, you know, he was, you know, when he transitioned, he was only 39 years old. And I realized that in 39, I was still trying to figure out, you know, where the bathrooms are. <laughs> but he gave us a number of gifts. I think the first gift is this realization. Every crisis presents an opportunity for some greater good to be expressed. I was speaking to a young man, a friend of my son's, and he was feeling a sense of despair because of the divisiveness and he's been seeing in his community and other places across the, the, the America and what's happening in Gaza, the politics. And he was quite distressed. He, was, he had a lot of anxiety. And one of the things I suggest, well, one of the things you might want to do is just step away from the news. Take a break from the internet and get some perspective. And I also said that, you know, what we want to do when we see the, the headlines, we want to realize those are nothing more than the world's prayer requests. They're telling us what we need to pray for. And I let him know that I understood where he was coming from, but he was surprised when I suggested that sometimes those upsetting events, those challenges that we see in our world, they can be a good thing. And he said, what do you mean? I just don't get it. What's wrong with people? And I said, such incidents can serve as evolutionary triggers to wake us to the true nature as spiritual beings. And to remind us to take whatever action is needed to help us realize we are all part of one spiritual family. So every crisis has both its dangers and its opportunities. Each crisis can save us or it can doom us. 
The choice, of course, is ours to make. It is our mission, I think, to make the good choice. But we have to choose to accept it. So Dr. King accepted his mission, and he knew it wouldn't be easy. He noted that the arc of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice. And that sometimes the movement toward justice emerges out of so-called tragedies. You may be familiar with the story of, of Emmett Till in 1955. He was a 14-year-old resident. Uh, he lived in Chicago, and he, was, he went down to Mississippi to spend time with his relatives. And while he was there, he was tortured to death. His body was mutilated. His face was disfigured beyond recognition for something he did not do. And at his funeral with his mother, Emmett's mother, wanted to make sure her son did not die in vain and remove uh, the bag that was covering his face because it was so mutilated, it was so disfigured that people didn't want to see it. But she said, remove that. And then the photo of his body was on every major news publication in America and across the world. And of course, this shocked the consciousness. And on top of that, the men who were accused of murder of him were acquitted in just 67 minutes of deliberation. And of course, devastated by what she saw on the television, as well as the acquittal, Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat that sparked that Montgomery boycott back in that time. And it was considered the start of the civil rights movement in the United States that was led by Dr. King. So he turned that crisis into an opportunity for greater good. And we can do the same. We can help bend the arc of the universe toward justice. We can bend the arc of the universe toward healing. We can bend the arc of the universe toward harmony in our own unique ways. But we must be awake to the realization that often starts in that moment of a crisis. You know, I have been in, you know, in unity for a long time and talked with a lot of people who often come into a spiritual center such as this. It's often because they're going through their own crisis in life. Maybe they had a divorce. Maybe someone in their family passed away. Maybe they have a uh, diagnosis, uh, an illness. Or maybe they have a failure in their business. Maybe life is just not working for them at all. And somehow they end up on this community to go on a spiritual path. And I believe that's how the universe sometimes works, to get our attention, to realize what's important is to get in tune with our spiritual power. So I think gift number one that he provided us, Dr. King, was every crisis presents an opportunity for a greater good, but we have to look for it. But there's a second gift. And that second gift is we have to paint a picture for a better tomorrow. You know, we know that statement that's in Proverbs that says, where there is no vision, the people perish. I might update that a little bit and say that where there is no vision, the people squabble. A lot of squabbling going on in the world. Indeed, our country, our world, our life sometimes needs a compelling vision. And we ask sometimes, when was the last time that we had a compelling vision? Probably when Ting said, I have a dream, and he began to speak about his dream of possibilities of people working together, being creative together. And we know that a vision is simply something so clear in our mind that we can see it in our imagination. It serves as a roadmap, so to speak, that is vital for a successful life because without it, without it, we're often directionless. You know, as that adage goes, that if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. We got to know where we're going. 
So the vision will take us where we want to be, where our heart yearns to be. And seemingly it has magic to it. And the steps will come along that without understanding why or how they come about, a whole spirit of God grows through us and allows us to grow through our visions and our dreams, regardless of how things look like right now. You know, painting that picture for the future doesn't have to be a compelling vision for, you know, the world or some grandiose level. It can just be for our life right where we are because that's where we start. You know, if life is not where we want it, maybe it's health-wise, maybe it's relationship-wise, maybe it's prosperity-wise, maybe we're not harnessing, you know, happiness in our life. Whatever reason, know that it does not have the vinyl word. Those are the facts of our life, but they're not the ultimate diagnosis, prognosis that spirit has for us. You know, this being a, a practical, you know, movement, you know, I also try to provide a practical tool that one can use. Here's one that I've used in different parts of my life, and if I wanted to move from where I am to where I want to be, and that was to envision my ideal day or my perfect day. Because I realized that life is made up of individual days. And to create an ideal day, you're setting yourself up for the intention to have an ideal life. So how do you set up an ideal day? Well, we often ask questions. We ask questions, ask and you shall receive. So we start with a question. And the question is, if there were no limitations or no consequences, what would my average perfect day be? What would it look like? How could I do something over and over every day and just be happy with that? So when we think of a perfect day, we, have, of course, have to be specific. We have to be detailed. We have to be clear because the universe responds to that kind of clarity. So we ask questions like, what does my perfect health look like? What does my spiritual abundance look like? What do my relationships look like? What makes me happy and joyous and makes me want to dance every day? And we write that vision as if it's happening right now. We feel it in this moment. We read it. We affirm it every day. And what happens, it will begin to override beliefs that have led to the current reality that we may be experiencing. So we want to have that compelling vision for the future. And it will move us and direct us in the direction of that vision. And we have full anticipation of it in this moment. We feel it now. As I like to say, it don't mean a thing unless it has that feeling. We got to feel it. The feeling tone is the most important part of moving from where we are to where we want to be. I mean, I think I was reading something the other day from a, a Harvard study that said that they had individuals who had visions and goals, and then they had individuals act as if it's happening now. And those who felt it happening now, in this moment, even though the facts were contrary to it, began to manifest them even more than those who didn't have it. So as we think about the power of painting a compelling vision, we're reminded sometimes, I'm reminded of a story during a reconstruction. And there was an uneducated you know, domestic worker and a child of former slaves. And she had a magnificent vision. Her name was Madam C.J. Walker. And there's a movie on Netflix called Self Made. If you, that's my flick pick of the week. If you want to check it out, it's, it's a very inspiring story. But anyway, she set out on a mission to move from being that domestic worker to manufacturing her own hair products and distributing those products across the country and across the, the world. And she became the first self-made woman millionaire in the U.S. 
But the thing is, she demonstrated the power of capturing and believing in a compelling vision to create a whole new future for herself and for many of the people that worked for her at that time. But it's not really about her. It's always about us and how we can do the same things for our communities and for our world. So the second gift of King was create a compelling vision and vivid picture for a better tomorrow. And then the third gift that I wanted to share was the, the, from Dr. King was to act according to your highest values no matter what. Sometimes I get caught up in the watching what's happening out in the political world today. Not a good idea. And I realized that a lot of the, the politicians, they're strong on confidence, but they're fungible on values. In other words, their values are a little wishy-washy. Mainly, they don't have any other than power. You know, really, it comes down to that. Anyway, during the Civil Rights Movement, uh, many around Dr. King were tempted to resort to violence to advance the cause. And some of them did that, and that was, you know, may not participate, you can see why. But King, like Mahatma Gandhi before him, called upon his followers to adhere to a higher standard. And he reminded his followers that we must not allow our creative protests to degenerate into physical violence. Again and again, we must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. And he demonstrated how, in the moment of truth, he held fast to his values. And he wasn't going to be moved. You know, there was a time that, uh, if you look at some of his work, he was uh, in a crowd of people. And he was leaving a speech or he was leaving a rally and he was, and, and a very well-dressed man, you know, walked up to him and, and he came out of the crowd and said, are you Dr. Martin Luther King? And he said, well, yes, I am. And uh, the well-dressed man at that moment spit on him. And Dr. King and I, at that moment, I think most individuals will say, you know, I'm, you know, I'm all okay for kumbaya, but this is one exception. <laughs> but what he did, he took out his handkerchief and he wiped the, the hate from his suit. And he handed the handkerchief over to the man and he said to him, I believe this belongs to you. I believe this belongs to you. In one of his speeches... Dr. King said, let no man pull you so low as to hate him. You know, in that moment, that may have been an exception, as I'm thinking about it, of not holding on to that value that he held about nonviolence. Most probably would have said, you know, I need to break away from this at this moment, at least just this one time. But he didn't do that. He held fast to his value, even though he was severely tested. So gift number three from King was act according to your highest values. And then there's lesson number four. Recognize that we are interconnected. You know, he stated that in a real sense, all life is interrelated. All persons are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. And he said, I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. And you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. This is the interrelated structure of reality. 
in a small way, I recognized this <laughs> interconnectedness. And, you know, I was coming back on, I was on a plane coming back from Florida, visiting my uh, family and my stepmom down there, heading back to Sacramento. You know, I was sitting in the aisle seat, which I always try to get. And then there was a seat between me. Then there was a, a, a gentleman who was in the window seat to my left. And uh, he had his phone on. He was looking at a video or listening to some music. But he didn't have his earplugs in, apparently. You know, I had mine on, so I couldn't really hear what was going on. And apparently it was like, you know, permeating through the whole plane. And on the other side of the aisle, sitting in the window seat, was another guy that was trying to get his attention, and he couldn't get his attention. So he balled up a piece of paper, and he threw the paper at the guy. It zipped right under my nose, hit him in the head, and uh, he got his attention. And he told him that you can't be out here playing your phone without your earplugs on. And so they started getting into it. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, we're going to have a news flash going on. And 35,000 feet in the air, these dudes are getting the, you know, on it, on, on, because somebody wouldn't put their earplugs in. But the understanding was that, you know, we all say, share the same airwaves. And at that moment, he was creating a disturbance in the force. He thought he was just doing something for him, but it was affecting everybody else around him. And the central tenet of all wisdom teaching is that we are interconnected. But oftentimes we forget that connection. And as we witness the challenges of our day, whether there be environmental breakdowns, acute political polarization, income disparity, injustice, now is the time more than ever to reimagine and construct a different world. And the good news is that these truth principles are coming into their own to address the challenges that we are facing now. It's taken a while for, for the spiritual teachings to mature. In the beginning, it was always about, it was just getting its footing. The, the teachings were primarily about healing the body, healing our relationships, personal well-being, prosperity, visualizing to make things happen. And that will always be there. That will always be good. But now it's time for a collective healing to transcend and live out the common interconnection between us. We must move from me to we in our transformation. That's because that whatever is out picturing in our world is nothing more than a reflection of the group's collective consciousness and awareness. And as we change, as we grow, as we expand, as we identify with our true nature and being, we become Leaders who create a world that works for everyone. Indeed, by recognizing and operating from our interconnectedness, we can be part of the collective change the world is hungering and thirsting for. Martin Luther King recognized that. So gift number four, know our interconnectedness. And finally, gift number five, and Paul referred to this in his meditation, love. Love those folks that we don't even like. And he quoted this note from Dr. King, and it bears repeating. I'm going to just repeat it. He said he wrote a note after someone asked him what he believed was the meaning of love. And in that handwritten note, he said, love is the greatest force in the universe. It is the heartbeat of the moral compass. He who loves is a participant in the being of God. 
Charles Film, the co-founder of Unity, said that love is that energy that binds everything together. It, it is the foundation of it all. So King focused on the role of love as the key to building a healthy communities and ways in which love can and should be at the center of our social interactions. For King, love was not a mushy or easily dismissed emotion, but a central kind of community and world that he envisioned. It's simple enough to say that, not necessarily easy to do. Because it begins by realizing it's often impossible to love humanity in general if we can only love in particular. It means far too often, you know, we might want to espouse the love ethic and to say, I love humanity. I love people. But when it comes to loving the neighbor, comes to loving the person maybe next to us at a job, comes to loving that person who's in the 10 items of less line and has 35 items in their cart. And you counting there, you say, daddy girl, he got way more than 10 items in there. Or loving someone who's just different, sometimes in those moments, it becomes difficult. But in order to engender the love ethic and build the beloved community, we must use our imagination, put ourselves in someone else's shoes, see ourselves from another perspective, another person's point of view, and see things from that different angle, in which widens our perspective and allows us to embrace another person. No matter how unusual or weird they may be, we all have our own idiosyncrasies. But when we begin to embrace that, give space for that, it helps the love ethic to be real and not theoretical. Now, that's not normal against the backdrop of the culture of the day, but the same was true during Jesus' time, you know. He was an extremist for this principle of love. He said to people of his day, turn the other cheek. And people were saying, uh, I'm not ready for that. I need to find me another guru. Like other stuff, I like that other stuff you were saying, Jesus, you know, God is love. You are the light of the world. The kingdom of God is within you. I like that. But we're not, but brother man, we're not masochists. We're not going to let somebody just slap us and abuse us, take advantage of us. But no, that's not what he was meant. He meant when somebody gives you one form of energy, we do not give back the same form of energy right back. See, it takes strength not to do that. See, it doesn't take strength to not to react to the nonsense, the hate, the abuse, or impoliteness. But it does take strength to exchange one form of energy for another, like he did when that person came up and spit in his face. It only comes from understanding who we are as spiritual beings that use our soul force. So it takes strength to operate that soul force, that soul consciousness. But only then the transformation of ourselves and the parties we're involved with begin to take place. So the final gift for today that King breathed us was the power of love. And I believe that when we practice these gifts to the best of our ability, no one's good at, at, and perfect at any of this, we begin to break down the artificial barriers that sometimes we've created between people, between groups, between nations. To download the beloved community that Dr. King dreamed about, we begin to look at each other. We begin to see the beauty and we see the original blessings that Matthew Fox talked about. And we'll stop seeing the so-called differences and the so-called 
divisions, and we'll look at that wonderful light shining through that individual. I don't understand it, but there's a light there somewhere. So we want to do our part to expand the beloved community by taking one area of life where we can intensely practice the love ethic, one area where we can rebel against business as usual, one area of life where forgiveness becomes the order of the day so our seemingly upside-down world can be made right-side up. We do this in our own environment, our own part of the universe, and then we watch it spread like wildfire because we are in tune with the way things really are spiritually. And underneath business as usual is an idea. Underneath business as usual is a spiritual plan of wholeness, of harmony, a God-ordained vision worthy to be expressed. Dr. King indeed was a great transformational leader and figure in contemporary history. As we continue to acknowledge his teachings and honor who he was, we say thank you for being you. Thank you for not missing your mission as we do our best to live up to the ideas and ideals that he embodied, that he gifted us. So in all way, we say, we stayed and woke. Peace and blessings to you. We are grateful for the opportunity to share with you today and hope you've taken something from this Sunday's message. If you'd like to hear more from Spiritual Life Center, be sure to click subscribe on the podcast platform you're listening from. You can find out more about our community on our website at www.slcworld.org. We look forward to being a part of your continued spiritual journey. Wherever you are, God is, and all is well. Spiritual Life Center Transforming